Hi, everybody. Welcome to the February 26, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. This is going to be a humdinger, trust me. Maybe not as entertaining as that debate last night, but almost there. Let's get a quick take on Tom Sullivan, father of an Aurora theater shooting victim, vying to become the Democratic nominee for state Senate in the 27th District. Sullivan would face Republican Jack Tate, who was selected to that seat to replace David Balmer. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, do we think we have somebody here who could follow in the footsteps of somebody like Rhonda Fields? Well, he's certainly got a compelling backstory, and the incumbent has been there long enough to maybe get a cup of coffee, so he doesn't have a strong base. A lot of it's going to depend on everything else we see in this coming election season, whether a Democrat in that district is going to have a good shot at it or not. David Copel of the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, right now, at least, we're seeing uh, a pretty obvious one major issue uh, from Tom Sullivan. But with Jack Tate, you have somebody with, uh, who wasn't elected to that seat. Do you think it's going to be a pretty big race? Sure, and it's going to be a big money race because on the, the gun ban side, you're going to have Michael Bloomberg, who is vastly richer and, uh, than uh, Donald Trump. I mean, uh, Bloomberg's one of the 15th richest men in the world. I mean, if Bloomberg wanted, he could just give everybody in the district $1,000 uh, to vote for his preferred candidate, and, you know, he wouldn't even notice the, the difference uh, in his bottom line. It'd be like when you and I, like, lose 50 cents on the couch. <laughs> um, Sullivan's problem is, because he's, he's been a political activist for a while, and when he was campaigning for other candidates, you know, he was motivated, understandably, and very sincerely and ardently on the anti-gun issue, but he, as he explained, he couldn't campaign on that uh, because that wasn't of interest, particularly his point of view, to the voters uh, in, in his district. So we'll, we'll see. But I, I think he, he's uh, a committed guy, and that's what Colorado Citizen Legislature uh, is partly about, is, is citizens running because they have something they, they care about and they want to make a difference. And in this 21st century environment, uh, having a billionaire who agrees with you on that, that difference uh, always helps. It does indeed help. Speaking of billionaires, uh, political analyst <laughs> Eric Sonderman is joining us as well. Eric, what kind of influence does uh, Sullivan's connection to the Aurora uh, movie theater shooting have on, on the community and his potential electorate? Well, first of all, a word of advice to our viewers. You will never go wrong taking Michael Bloomberg and CIO bingo. You, you <laughs> usually, it, it is usually a winner for you. Uh, I think... His persona, the fact that he is the the father of a Aurora shooting victim, it gives him it gives him a claim to fame. It gives him a, a, a leg to stand on, shall we say? It, it separates him from the run of the mill candidates that that occupy many of these legislative districts. Candidates have different motivations uh, for running, and uh, the fact that you lost a son in an incident of horrific gun violence is as good a motivation as any. I want to go real quickly in a different direction with this question, Dominic. There's a coming issue, I think, which is how an increasing number of people are getting to the Colorado legislature, and it's through this thing of vacancy committees. Increasingly, increasingly, you see legislators resigning before the end of their term. You now have this area of Arapahoe County that has a, a Colorado state senator and a Colorado state representative. Neither one has been voted on. Neither one has been elected to anything. They've both taken office by vacancy committee. David Balmer resigns, so Jack Tate takes the Senate seat. This guy, Sullivan, is now going to run against Tate. So Tate leaves the Colorado House where he had been serving, and a guy named Cole Whist is appointed by a small group of uh, people on some obscure vacancy committee uh, to take that role. 
there's a coming, there's a story to be written here about the use and even in some cases abuse of vacancy committees to fill our legislature. Ran on at the panel today, Ben Gilt, political consultant. Uh, Rappahoe County is usually somewhat of a swing county in Colorado. How does it go in this race? You know, I haven't looked at the data specifically for this district, but my sources tell me that it does lean Republican, that a generic Democrat has a very difficult time against a Republican. I think in the case of Tom Sullivan, you have a more compelling than average candidate who has a highly compelling backstory that's internationally recognized and known. And as Eric pointed out, you have a sitting senator who was appointed and elected prior to the House from a much smaller base. So I think in this instance, you're going to see a really competitive race where you're going to see, yes, how the gun issue plays out and also how the message of uh, being a pragmatic citizen representative in the legislature um, carries over someone who's appointed and uh, has a much more political background and sort of uh, trajectory. Colorado will take part in Super Tuesday next week as one of 12 states holding presidential caucuses or primaries. Some believe Bernie Sanders may be able to use a Colorado win to bolster his campaign. Meanwhile, some are beginning to think that the GOP may not be able to stop Donald Trump from getting the nomination after his wins in South Carolina and Nevada, despite a blistering debate on Thursday. Let's do a couple rounds on this one, Patty. Let's start with the debate, since that just happened last night. Um, it was a fantastic uh, political theater to watch. I'm not sure if folks in the GOP establishment were, were grinning, but it certainly was entertaining. Is there a, a formula that you see where Donald Trump doesn't get the nomination? Yes, if he suddenly decides he wants to move to Bali. And <laughs> the thing about Don, last night's debate had everything, including the kitchen sink, where I believe Ben Carson mixed up his fruit salad. You just couldn't get, oh, it just got better and better. You had the Cuban-American sandwich around Donald Trump, where, they, <laughs> where Cruz and Rubio are t punching. And to see Mario Rubio's comeback, I would like to know who trained him, maybe Muhammad Ali, because he really came out swinging uh, didn't kind of didn't have the flop sweat of previous debates. He really was working on taking down Trump. But the extraordinary thing about Donald Trump is he, like his hair is unflappable, he is undentable. I mean, he just keeps coming. It doesn't seem to matter, no matter what punches land on him, how, where his popularity lies. People just are mad and want to vote for Donald Trump, and they don't care what everybody else says. There were some other good moments. Um, Kasich, certainly on his Apple comment, made more sense than anyone has on the complete campaign trail this season, but it's not going to get him many votes. Um, Donald Trump is going to be very, very tough to stop. It's really not a season where common sense on, on some issues are really going to get any you sense, anything. Where any sense, Exactly. David is... Uh, when we saw the debate yesterday, many pundits came out and said this was the first time, at least with, with Rubio and Cruz, really came out and really swung at Donald Trump. Is it too little too late, or is there some actual difference that can be made with simply one debate? Oh, the, the selection is going all the way down to June 7th in California. Um, the, uh, the notion that Trump, that because he got 46% in Nevada, that 46 percent of Republican primary voters will always be for him no matter what isn't true. He got 25 percent in Iowa. He got in the 30s in New Hampshire and South Carolina. So there's a range of a high and a low for Trump. And not every Trump voter is so implacable, as certainly some are. Uh, but when you come out with the kind of things that 
is now would be coming out from the Democrats anyway if, once Trump became the nominee about his phony university uh, and his hire, his hiring at his Palm Beach resort foreigners to do seasonal work because he says Americans won't do that do those jobs. Uh, I think some of his support people who like someone who tells it like it is may take a may take a second look at that. I want to give you a list of people: Thomas Dewey, 1940. Estes Kefauver, 1952. Kefauver again in 1956. Eugene McCarthy, 1968. Edmund Muskie, 1972. Gary Hart, 1984. Patrick Buchanan, 1996. Every one of them won three of the first four states in their presidential primary. None of them became the nominee. So the idea that Trump has some luck when fewer than 5% of the delegates have been chosen is not plausible. I think you've made a lot of viewers feel an awful lot better at that point, that point David. Thank you. Uh, Eric, If let, let's go with the other side of the scenario. Donald Trump does get the nomination. He's the top of the ticket. If you're somebody like Mike Kaufman, who's going to be a very, who's going to have a very competitive race this year, if you're somebody like one of the 13 Republicans running for U.S. Senate in Colorado, there's going to be one of them finally to be the nominee, are you scared of what that's going to do here in a state like Colorado? I first have to acknowledge I did not have Estes Kefauver in, in the big <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did not. That's you, a you, got me, you got me on that one. Uh, Republicans are nervous across the board, whether you're Mike Kaufman, whether you're a Colorado Republican, whether you're a Republican running for county assessor, county surveyor, or whether you're a Republican anywhere in this country running for governor or U.S. Senate. You are nervous because we're in somewhat unprecedented territory. To David's point, I'm going to half agree and half disagree. The, the, the historical examples were very compelling, and there are plenty of examples of candidates who've gotten off to rocket ship starts as the primary and caucus process started and then hit a ceiling quickly and, and, and were taken down. In terms of Trump's support, though, there had been a notion that I think is now being disproven, perhaps unfortunately so, that his ceiling was in the mid-30s. And that as the field winnow, when you're in a 12-candidate race and you're the guy with 30 or 35 percent, you're the king. If you're in a two- or three-candidate race and you're the guy with 30 or 35 percent, you're the loser. But we are now seeing that maybe that 35 percent was not a hard ceiling or a ceiling of any kind. Just in the last couple hours, we hear that uh, Governor Chris Christie has endorsed Donald Trump. In terms of geographic importance, probably not much, but you're now starting to see a process where mainstream politicians are legitimizing the person. Uh, we will see very quickly after this debate. I mean, the kitchen sink that Patty referenced is the right, uh, the right metaphor. And over the next 72 hours, there's going to be plenty of exposés of Trump University, of the, of the uh, foreign workers, of everything else. And we will see really quickly if any of that is taking a toll and if any of these usual messages which bring down mortal politicians work or if all it served to do last night was perhaps boost Marco Rubio into a firmer grasp on second place but not really challenge for the top spot. Ben, the Republican vote that will be happening on uh, Super Tuesday, well, it's been called, it doesn't count, because the Colorado Republican Party didn't agree to the terms of the National Republican right. Party, but there's still going to be Colorado Republicans voting. How do you think in Colorado, where do the Colorado Republicans go? Well, it'll be interesting to see. I think we'll see something similar that we've seen in other states where it'll be sort of splintered out, and you'll likely see a plurality of support for Trump. I think more broadly speaking to how Republicans are looking at the field and what their preferences might be, I think that those that are in competitive districts are feeling extremely nervous because the 
if Trump is at the top of the, top of the ticket, certainly there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm for him amongst a certain group. But I think as there's more exposure on some of his harder line statements and sort of his contradictory statements and there's just more exposure in general, I think those people that aren't fervent conservatives who are seeking the most electable conservative but rather are looking for the most pragmatic person that they can identify with are going to go away from him. So I think you'll see... Uh, some of these hardline conservatives in, in smaller districts be really comfortable and happy with Trump because they'll fire up their base. But those that are in more suburban areas, you asked about Mike Kaufman, I think will be extremely nervous because those Republicans and independents that are open to whatever basically are going to see a lot of that and say this is not a serious person. So, you know, I think Colorado Republicans will really go th the way that the rest of the Republicans in the country will. And it's up in the air. So. That's all right. Let's uh, let's get a second round on this one because not only the you know Donald Trump and Republicans are a big issue, but it's also a Democratic caucus in Colorado, which is a, a big deal. David, let's start with you. Uh, can Bernie Sanders get a win in Colorado and turn that into a substantial momentum for other races? Possibly yes. There, there's one recent poll which shows him up, but you know, caucuses are are hard to predict, uh, and. There are a lot of polls around the country which show in, in, in many states Bernie's behind. So he needs – it would be helpful for him to win anywhere, and so that would be good for him. Now, the, the truth is, him – even if he lost every state on Super Tuesday, and even if he lost him by, say, 60 to 40 margins, that doesn't knock him out because the, the Democratic delegate selection process is – proportional all the way through. Unlike the, where the Republicans are starting on March 15th, the states are allowed to do winner-take-all or winner-take-all-most-all. So, you know, if, if you lose 55-45, that's, that's a loss, but you're, you're going to walk away with 45% of the delegates. And he's got his, his base of, of donors who will be able to carry him all the way through. Um, I was, as I, I said a few months ago, I was thinking of caucusing for him because I disagree with, because of Mrs. Clinton's character and, and honesty issues on further, as I've learned more, he's just too much an admirer throughout his whole career of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, and for me that's a red line. Um, you no know, it's one thing to say Denmark is swell, uh, it's another thing to say the government under Leonid Brezhnev uh, was swell. So I will be caucusing in favor of, of uncommitted, because uh, I think the party can do better and has historically done much better for its nominees uh, than Mr. Sand, than either of the two current front runners. Eric, it seems like all the conversation on the Republican side has been about the anti-establishment. That's where Trump's going to love his energy. In this one, we have a front-runner in Hillary Clinton who firmly represents the establishment. In fact, the, you know, the establishment getting to the point of you're, you're anti-American if you're going to vote the other way. Um, do you think Super Tuesday is a defining moment for her, or does Sanders drag this thing out into the summer? It could be a defining moment for her. And with David's uh, backing away from Bernie Sanders, that's a major blow <laughs> to the Sanders campaign across this country because he was part of that core base yeah. uh, that, that Bernie Sanders is pitching his message to. Uh, I will disagree. If Hillary Clinton comes close to running the table on the 12 states on Tuesday, I think that nomination process, Bernie Sanders will fight on. He has the money to fight on. He has a passionate base of people that will fight on with him, but it will start to wind down. If he was going to emerge as a serious long-term threat to Hillary Clinton, 
he had to do that early. It's not going to happen in later states. He had to do that early. Colorado is a made-for-Bernie-Sanders kind of state in terms of the composition of the Colorado Democratic Party. Sanders is going to need, out of 12 states on Tuesday, at least three or four wins to point to that he can put up on the board, on the big board of all the cable networks Tuesday night. It is hard to see how he gets those three or four wins if Colorado is not one of them. I think my biggest point on this issue, Dominic, is just how irrelevant Colorado has made itself in both parties, particularly the Republican Party. We're not even doing a preference poll. This is the wildest, wackiest election with high, high stakes. And yet, if you are a Colorado Republican, you have no way of registering in whether you're for Donald Trump or if you think Donald Trump is the worst thing in the world, whether you're for one of the two Cuban candidates or if you think Ben Carson is somehow the magic answer. You have been completely disenfranchised. On the Democratic side, yes, we have a preference poll, but I have to say, Colorado caucus system was antiquated and archaic 25 years ago, and it hadn't gotten any better in the intervening 25 years. For a state that is the ultimate purple state in November, we the ultimate non-entity state in March, and that is a shame. Ben, let's get to where you think Colorado Democrats are going to go. At the end of the day, when that big board that Eric referenced, will Sanders be able to point to Colorado as a win on Tuesday? I think it's going to be very difficult. And uh, just to touch on the history of caucus and primary, I will say in 92, my dad actually helped uh, establish a Democratic primary, which I was really excited to go watch him participate in, and I still can't believe we don't have it. And it's exactly what Eric was saying. It's, we're allowing ourselves to continue to be a flyover state. Even though everybody pays so much attention to us, we really ought to do more to capitalize on the amount of influence that Colorado has, has begun to have in the, in the nation. Um, how do I think Bernie will do here? I think it's going to be very difficult. The poll that, that uh, David referenced uh, had no context. There was no prior polling, so it was just sort of a random sample of people, and who knows what the bias may have been. I, uh, obviously, Bernie has spent quite a bit of money here. Um, the Clinton team has also spent a, a fair amount of resources. They've deployed Bill, I believe, twice, once uh, just a couple weeks ago. So it'll be tight. Um, I don't think that there's any chance that Bernie's going to go away, win, lose, or draw on Super Tuesday. He's going to fight it out. I think there's a decent chance, we were talking about this a little bit before the show started, that both conventions could wind up being brokered. The Republican convention is getting maybe more difficult to get into that scenario, but still very plausible. And the Democratic picture, because it's not a win or lose scenario, because you can keep what you win, uh, even if you don't get majority, it could really get to be a fight at the convention. Although it kind of feels like the super delts going to be kind of the uh, the last little oomph, but you, you yeah. never know. You never you know. Never no, know. Yeah, yeah, it's, gonna, it's yeah. certainly going to be entertaining. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, and I think someone might be buying Bernie a ticket to Bali with Donald Trump <laughs> just to get him away from that convention. We have to remember with the caucus that it's not. It, it involves more of a commitment than just voting. Right. I mean, you have to go. So it's a really different slice of the people who will vote in November. It's people who are committed to going and sitting in a living room and yelling at each other for three or four hours. So, but both Bernie and Hillary have people, partisans, who will go yell in a living room for three or four hours. So I think it'll be close. I think Hillary will pull it out because we forget there is a really committed, committed group to her in this state, people who want to see the first woman president. Colorado was the first state to give women the vote. And the people, not the 24-year-olds, are not going to go to the caucus. The people who don't care about Hillary being the first woman anything. But the pe women in their 60s and their 70s, you're going to see a lot of people out there fighting. You also have Bernie fans who are strong, too. So it'll come close, but I think Hillary will pull it out here. And 
the Colorado Republicans. I mean, they're just going to be trying to find a delegate who will have some say at the county <laughs> convention. And it's really pathetic that they have no vote in the presidential campaign right now. They're going to sound like Ben Carson, the debate. Will somebody attack me, please? <laughs> Let's get a quick take on this last one. President Obama announced this week that he intends to close the Guantanamo Bay detention facility. Ninety-one detainees remain there, and they will likely be placed in other facilities, possibly including prisons in Colorado. Uh, Eric, your quick take on this one about the possibility of maybe some of these terrorists actually being housed here in Colorado. Well, this was one of President Obama's first edicts as president now seven-some years ago. And in year eight of his presidency, it's still on his wish list, and I understand it's why on his wish list, but to, to, to have a, what he has is a plea. He doesn't have a plan. Uh, he doesn't have a plan of what specifically and how he is going to deal with these prisoners. Colorado is rightfully interested in this issue, given that there is a significant chance that they, if, if something like this was to go through, which I don't see happening, uh, Supermax would be a plausible location. The question is whether you want to merge military prisoners in with our mainstream prison system. Democrats are on the hot seat on this issue. It's easy for Republicans. There's only one position for Republicans to take. Democrats, the Michael Bennetts of the world, are cross-conflicted, and it's a tough issue for them. Ben, your quick take on this one. Should Colorado have a little bit more tent or anxiety about possible more terrorists being housed in our state? Well, I do think that it's appropriate to close the uh, Guantanamo prison. I, I think it's an excellent recruiting tool for uh, terrorist organizations around the world. I think that states around the country are right to be apprehensive, but also we do have these facilities. We should have the capacity to deal with these people and treat them as prisoners and, um, you know, I see it as sort of a patriotic duty. If we're going to close this thing that's been a sort of black mark on our country, um, we have to figure out how to, how to make it work, and we should be able to participate in that. I don't think there's a big record of prison breaks. Excuse me. <laughs> Patty, what do you think? Well, people are forgetting just who we already have imprisoned in Colorado. We have terrorists. We have Ted Kaczynski. We've got Blago. Um, the Illinois governor, disgraced Illinois governor. So we certainly have had dangerous characters um, in prison here before. So if it comes to it, Colorado's going to wind up taking some of them. It does make more sense to use a military-type prison. And let's not forget, say, Hardin, Montana, which was welcoming these the Gitmo prisoners. You know, it would be a great economic boon for them, and it's pretty hard to escape Hardin, Montana, without looking obvious if, uh, if you're from that part of the country. So... We'll see what happens here, but I think Colorado has to be willing to step up for some of them. David, wrap it up for us. Colorado should step up if it would help the national defense. I think it works to the contrary. The, the, the law, by the way, forbids Obama from doing this. Congressional appropriations have said you can't spend a penny of taxpayer dollars to move these people out of Guantanamo and into the United States. Um, one of the reasons why Blago or Ted Kaczynski uh, imprisoned in Colorado they're not a threat to Colorado because you don't have to worry that Blago's got a lot of friends who are going to try some spectacular prison break or, for example, take the town of Florence uh, hostage and, and threaten to kill everybody in it uh, unless Blago gets released. In contrast, the Guantanamo folks have a lot of friends from around the world who would just love to do something like that. So we're elevating the threat to Colorado without making us better off, the country better off. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Penny, start us off. Well, because I know it's going to bother David, I'm going to say <laughs> the Internet rumor that is sweeping the country right now, which is that Katy Perry is actually John JonBenet Ramsey. I'm not making up the fact that the rumor is flooding. Uh, 
It is not true, although it is also true we have never seen Katy Perry and John Marie Ramsey together. <laughs> David? Nor have we seen her birth certificate. <laughs> um, the Green Party of Colorado, which after one of their former state legislative candidates murdered a sheriff's deputy in, in Bailey, Colorado, uh, still said what a wonderful fellow he was and blamed the whole thing on the eviction crisis and, and affordable housing. That's a stretch for a PR person. Eric? Both sides in the debate over how to process a Supreme Court nomination. It's the ultimate game of situational ethics. There are no ethics. It all depends on the situation you're in. Joe Biden with that tape that was released is a perfect example. The Republicans are equally guilty. There is no sense of core principle. It's all about political and ideological advantage. Shame on both sides. Uh, and people ought to step up and do a job here and move past this idea of situational ethics. Ben. Well, our uh, Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman, I think, had gone too long without any bad press and this week made some inexplicable statements in regards to Sue Klebold uh, after her book and wonderful interview about um, just being more aware of, of signs of depression in teenagers and, and trying to help other people catch uh, these things before it becomes a disastrous, murderous, terrible thing. Um, so shame on Cynthia Kaufman for, uh, for her state statements regarding Sue Klebold. Say something nice about somebody, Patty? Well, just uh, so the Colorado Republican Party doesn't get arrest, Matthew <laughs> Arnold, who wound up filing suit, you know, he is clear the bench. He's worked on a lot of different campaigns. He was concerned the Colorado Republican Party was not doing filling out its campaign finance reports properly, and indeed the party just got slapped by a local judge. David. The University of Colorado men's basketball team, which just beat uh, Arizona, uh, one of the top teams in the country. Eric. A couple of good ones. I was privileged earlier this week to spend a day interviewing incredible young high school kids for Daniel Scholarships, the whole Daniel Scholarship program. These are 230, 250 kids a year, and we're now up over 3,000 kids over the life of this program. Diamonds in the rough who've had a college opportunity and a college education they wouldn't have otherwise had, an incredible legacy to build Daniels. Ben. It's a great program. My girlfriend's actually a Daniel Scholarship, so... Good choice. Um, <laughs> my uh, fame of the week goes to uh, Senator Jesse Ulibarri, who announced his resignation, and he won't be uh, seeking re-election. He's going to go work for the Wellstone Advocacy Group, and I think it's a tremendous move from a tremendous young man. That's all the time we have tonight. Be sure to tune in to the season finale of Mercy Street on Tuesday at 9 p.m. It's been a great Civil War series for PBS. Hope you check it out. As always, remember to check out the CIO podcast on iTunes and our web-exclusive segments here on, or on Twitter. Not here on Twitter. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. It's easy for me to say. Thanks for watching. Good night.